0: Good evening, and welcome to a very special episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry.
1: And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 18, Distant Voices. But before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast.
0: Absolutely, and as I say every week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome. And not only will we be talking about uh, Distant Voices tonight, we will also be paying tribute to Star Trek Deep Space Nine overall, celebrating its 30th anniversary this week. January 4th, 1993 was when the very first episode of this show was released, and here we are, 30 years later, still talking about what is, in my opinion, <laughs> the greatest Star Trek show out there okay yeah. now i know there's going to be people who go uh you know original series next generation voyager so forth and so on and that's fine you can have your favorites but Deep Space nine is um it's still the best so <laughs> just deal with it and anyway if you're here if you're listening to us you have to agree that the show must be at least great yeah so um yeah So be able to just go ahead and enjoy what we're going to talk about tonight. Again, uh, the episode, Distant Voices, and um, just kind of looking back at Deep Space Dine as a whole, trying my best not to give any spoilers because David has not seen this show uh, before. So I don't want to give away the the greatness. I want him to come to it naturally. So I will try my best to restrain myself while we talk about this phenomenal show tonight.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Looking forward to it. Great. So, um, one thing I did before, um, uh, we started tonight was I went back and actually listened to our very first, uh, broadcast oh, for, man. uh, for the fire case where we talked about the very first episode emissary and um there were a couple of things that i thought would be very interesting for us to kind of go back over again as we talk about the anniversary of the episode um one being your interpretation of the picard cisco relationship during and and of course how we see that play out during the infamous Meeting scene. Right. And then also the impact of the pilot overall and why it was such a successful pilot compared to some other shows that we've we've talked about on this show and other uh, Star Trek shows um, as well. And I think, having listened to us and watched the episode again, I think I've pinpointed why it's such a great, um, why it's such a successful um, pilot. Gotcha. Okay.
1: okay. Gotcha. gotcha. All right.
0: So, um, with that being said, let's kind of dive right into it. We'll get, we'll, we'll get to the episode, Distant Voices, but let's do some of the um, uh, anniversary stuff first. Okay. So, yeah. So, to take you back, to remind you a little bit, when you first started watching Deep Space Nine, you had actually not completed your first run of DMT. Next Generation. That's right. All right, so you were very much in that camp, though. That Next Generation was a great show. Mm-hmm. You enjoyed the the characters there, and in particular Captain Picard. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we see this meeting between Cisco and Picard. Do you remember what your thoughts were in regards to those two individuals encountering each other?
1: Um, if I were just to say what I think now is just that you no, know, Picard comes off as his. Very respectable self, very friendly, but Cisco um, is a character, who really introduces himself as a very different individual. He's got that. He's angry at Picard. He blames Picard for the events um, at Wolf 9. Is that, is that my, my name correctly? Wolf 359. 359, there we go. Wolf 359. Um, you know, Picard had been captured by the Borg and had turned into their kind of front man for their invasion of Earth and, and the Federation, and uh, that meant that the. Um Sisko had been attacked as a part of a crew on a ship, and his wife had died and all that. And so the scene where he shows up, and Picard is friendly and outgoing, and, and the Picard that we know and love, and Sisko is not just... He is barely on the edge of, of, of smacking Picard in the face. Like, straight up just knocking him out. Barely right contained there. rage. Right, and so Picard goes from outgoing and friendly to... Strictly professional Like he knows mm-hmm. there's something Going on he doesn't even fully understand What but he's like all right Cisco are, are you good to do this job or not Because like you're being called To do this I don't know what your problem Is but are, are you good to go And Cisco is like I- I'll do it I don't want to do it This isn't this isn't the thing I really wanted to do But damn right I'm going to do it Like, It's like he's throwing it back in Cisco's Face that yeah I'm going to do it As like a challenge to Picard and it's a great scene. It really shows the difference in the two characters, so it really makes sure you know these are not the same character. They have different motivations, different backgrounds, um, different leadership styles, even. Cisco um, mm. is going to be much more passionate when it comes to his emotions. Uh, Picard can be passionate, don't get me wrong, um, but Sisko really kind of breathes his emotions a bit more. Um, so yeah, it's a great scene. There's more to talk about, of course, but yeah. Um, that scene alone no. was was fantastic. If we could have just gotten, I, I would, I wish we could have more of those two characters together. And I imagine that's sure. that's it. That's the only scene we have. So
0: I'm going to say that you're almost spot on for what you said um, all the time ago when yeah. we recorded that. It's a, it, you're. Absolutely correct. We we said that we one like you just said. We wish there had been more of an interaction, more scenes between Picard and Cisco. Cisco was definitely you know con- barely contained rage. Um, Picard f- seems to shrink away from Cisco uh, at first when he realizes who he is and who he is to Cisco. You know, and, and and their first meeting when he was Locutus of Borg, mm-hmm. and then how he switches into you know. Duty and honor, and this is you know, you're while you wear the uniform, you have a job to do. That is kind of how Picard recovers in that scene a bit. In fact, we talked uh, at length about how when Picard first realizes that Cisco knows him from Wolf Three Five Nine, how Picard shrinks away from from Cisco for yeah. a little bit, and then he recovers when it comes to that whole. This is your job. You're a Starfleet officer. As long as you wear that uniform, you, we expect you to carry out your duty. Right. You know, and that's when Picard kind of comes back and is the the man that we had come to know. Right. Um, we also talked about how you know, Cisco is kind of the the Batman to Picard's Superman. Right. You know, um, Picard is a very polished, professional um, career officer who, you know, he's kind of been through a lot, but he always comes off as that that apex, top-tier captain. And then we have this other individual who is, you know, damaged, broken, severely um, PTSD'd here from everything that's happened to him up to this point. Right. And how he is still doing the job, but the, he does the job from a much darker place. Mm-hmm. So kind of the same scenario again. That's why he gave that comparison of, of Superman and Batman. Right. And, um, what we see throughout the rest of that episode is, is Cisco doing something that Batman never really did, which is deal with his grief and learn to move past it. Um, it is, it is a two-parter episode. We do see this kind of happen over seemingly what would be a shorter arc. And as we talked about then, and as we've said now, it would have been cool to see this play out, um under a much longer stretch, right. right? Instead of it being resolved in the pilot, as it essentially is, mm-hmm. um, to see this kind of drawn out a bit more throughout the rest of the season and maybe into season two or three, right. you know, would have been, would have been nice yeah. to, um, to kind of fully flesh out the character and to make it a bit more realistic. But, you know, this was the nineties and, you know, that was, that was not how any of this is going to work. We're, we're all about wrapping things up <laughs> in storylines as much as possible. Right. You know, but yes, it would have definitely made for um, greater, um, I guess, story building to see Picard and Cisco have a few more run-ins where they have to kind of confront these feelings and deal with them, and then eventually learn to move past them, rather than the quick wrap-up that we do get right. when 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 Picard and Cisco shake hands at the end of the episode and the Enterprise departs. Right. Um, still though a great scene when i i was i went back and i watched it again and um i picked up on a couple of different things this time around like we know how the prophets like to use people who are i guess within the scenes as their as their voices as their representation you know so we saw the prophets who were speaking as jennifer and as jake and as uh kayo paca and so forth right and there was one alien character in there who was the i guess the Bolian lieutenant from the saratoga that was on um um cisco ship and uh i do believe he pops up a couple of different times but not just as the Bolian, but as the human behind it like the actor who played the character they just used him again and just took the makeup off of him <laughs> he pops up a couple other times because i kept noticing i was like he i was like why does that guy keep he looks so familiar and it's, and i, was, I think about it I was like i think that's because he's he was supposed to be the alien every time so yeah it was the it was the actor um watching i say all that just to kind of get to those scenes in any way but um Watching him have to explain the concept of a linear existence to aliens who exist outside of that, I thought was also a very interesting um, take. Do you remember any of that at all?
1: Yeah, I remember that You know, that's part of what he's having to do. That's part of what makes the prophets um, characters that come off as godlike beings as they exist out of time. And then him having to explain that makes him the emissary to the Bajorans. Uh, he's the first one to really visit the wormhole and visit the Sky Temple, effectively. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, of course, there's that wonderful scene where he gets to relive, you know, meeting his wife for the first time on the beach and um, his great kind of one-liners with her. Um, Real quickly, is that scene supposed to be, like, at what point is he reliving what he did versus coming up with new stuff? Like, part of me wonders if he was, like, coming out with these great lines, like, I bet you use that line on all the girls. He says, never before, never again. Like, is that because he said that at oh, the time? That... Or because so, he is in the moment reliving it and knowing that he'll never reuse the line?
0: So I always took that as when he has the orb experience with Kayo and he is um, back reliving that moment on the beach and talking with Jennifer and that, that, that I took that as it's both a flashback and him reliving the moment, right? So part of it is yes; these are the things that he recalls saying and her responses right. to what he was saying. But then there was also the he he had the knowledge of the fact that he knew where things were going. So
1: it is both it with is, them. Him reliving yeah. Him. So it's
0: a it's a bit of both in in that particular scene, right? Not in later scenes when he's when he's explaining to the prophets how a linear existence is a lot like baseball yeah. and how, you know, we try to prepare for scenarios through practice, but we can't totally prepare for every single thing. We must adapt mm-hmm. as the situation goes on. And right. sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we get it right, whatever, but no, uh, that one was, yes, he was just reliving that scene. And I've always thought that was probably the, the coolest, <laughs> most smooth pickup line scene you could ever have. Yeah you know um and for those of you who may not remember she tells him um she she's telling him that his mother her, that her mother had warned her about starfleet officers junior starfleet officers and he says your mother is going to love me <laughs> and um she says i bet you say that to all the women that you meet and he was like never before and, and never, never again. again yeah and um yeah, and then another line he uses is he says it's not every day that you meet the woman that you're gonna marry. Right, and I mean it was just like everything he did, just like building on itself. And I mean he totally had her, you know, wrapped around his finger basically. And it was just right. like man, right. Cisco just kind of laid it down real smooth for her and didn't give her a, <laughs> didn't give her a chance to not be impressed by him. Right. So um, yeah, great great opening scene and and interaction between. Young Ben and uh, Jennifer.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, those are there were a lot of great scenes in that first episode. I guess it was a two-parter, so it's you know two episodes. But, um, yeah, the the Cisco scene really stands out. I'm sorry, the Picard scene really stands out uh, because again, it really it, it's the scene that sets up the dynamic that this is a different character. Um, and going back to the whole Batman versus Superman thing. As we've come forward, you know he Cisco isn't Batman. In the he's the tech savvy millionaire playboy type. That's not him at all. That's not the comparison. It's the emotional rawness of him as a character. Yes, um, the
0: damaged man. Right, the damaged man doing the job
1: and doing it well. Doing doing a hard job, but doing it well. He his his traumatic experiences have taught him how to uh, be empathetic. It, it, empathic empathetic empathic uh, empathetic either way yeah. works here with yeah. with other people like I'm thinking of the episodes uh uh the with but the uh, um oh gosh the people who are rebelling in the neutral zone um the Marquis and it was an M. Marquis yeah like he <laughs> wants them to stop doing this crazy rebellious stuff but he also sympathizes with them and he goes to them and he tries to like make peace, you know, like I you you gotta stop, you know. You really get that from him. And not that Picard wouldn't do that, but um yeah, Cisco just comes off as more raw. And that really makes Batman yes. a great character. Superman is the guy flying above the clouds Kind of above it all, he he deigns to like visit you and and make things better. Like I've always laughed at the idea that
0: almost you... almost godlike, comical the way he exactly. lords over the rest of us and then imposes his will because he is so
1: yeah he's immeasurably
0: totally strong. Yeah. Right, there's nothing that you know. There's no way you can argue with him. Whereas Batman is definitely your down to earth in the trenches, can understand the situation, but also. He imposes his own, you know, justice, but it comes more from a point of tragic <laughs> understanding right. than, than again, him lording something over you.
1: Yeah, for, so, like, the best example of that, too, is the whole good cop, bad cop he has with Odo. Like, Picard couldn't do bad cop, or even good cop in those scenarios. He is the man of the law, he is to be respected, and he's gonna do what he needs to do to get things done, he's gonna be straight up, straightforward, but Cisco, he can get down and dirty if he needs to, you know, ring a few blackmail,
0: uh, blackmail someone, yeah. blackmail a certain bartender to get him to stay around. Yeah, if he, to, if he has to <laughs>
1: twist a few arms, he's not gonna. He might be up, you know, sad that he had to do it, but it's not going to stop him. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it makes Cisco a character that can have more depth than, <laughs> excuse me, than Picard sometimes. And um, Which is why I'll say it again. I'm sad that Cisco doesn't seem to get the central focus that Picard seems to get on on the Enterprise. Even this episode, uh, Distant Voices, Cisco is barely in it.
0: He's, he is. He's he's barely he's in it. Just, that is a great point. does yeah. not like a
1: full 60 second scene. It's, I'm sure. I'm sure he's not even in it for 60 full seconds. He's only in it for the briefest yeah. moment um, and then gone. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I have no. I, you know, thinking about the episode, I have no idea why they did that. It. it was like he, it, it, even in the brief moment that he's in, and we're going to get to the episode later, I promise. Um, but even in that brief moment that he's in it, to me, he was already more compelling than the other people that we saw because mm-hmm. everybody else was like arguing and being very irrational, yeah, or whatever else. Cisco Cisco was once again doing a job. Yes. He was he was working. He was the, you know everybody else is he, yeah. bickering and you know all, all that. Yeah, he's yeah, being so. he's
1: being Bashir as Bashir would want to be. He's being the perfect doctor in a in a situation. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I I, I really like Sisko as a character, and I feel like those moments where he's allowed to really shine, he's fantastic. But they are much fewer and far between than we would give Picard. Picard is always center stage even in episodes yes. that aren't his focus he is still there there's never an episode that i can really think of where he's only in there for 60 seconds at most that would not yes happen any,
0: anytime yes even when picard is not the central focus of the episode when he does show up he does command a larger presence uh Larger scene for the part that he is there and then that goes back to the other person. And typically, whenever they have. Yeah, his decisions
1: affect the episode in some capacity. He is still able to affect an Mm -hmm. episode uh, with his decisions. Yeah.
0: This is why Deep Space Nine was such a departure from what we had seen in Star Trek before. In the original series, the show was driven very much by Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and their interactions with either each other or with other aliens. It was very rare that we saw things that focused on other uh, crew members. And typically, even when there were other crew members, those three, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, typically had to solve the issue for the other crew member. Then, of course, with Next Generation, uh, here was an attempt at an ensemble cast. They were going to focus more on the other characters to drive the plot. But again, it does typically come back to Picard and Picard's decision and how that uh, decision affects the people that are around him that he uh, that he commands right. um it later becomes kind of a picard and data show to a bit you know <laughs> because we're watching data explore humanity he was such a he was such a unique character right. for that show that even other unique characters were a bit overshadowed mm-hmm. by data's uniqueness right. i guess and even then they still try to capitalize on it by not only having data but also having lore you know so it did very much become a you know a Picard data show there for a bit, right. but it was it. I feel like it was done well. We still got a lot of development with the other characters. Um, probably the only one who didn't get as much development as maybe they deserved was Doctor Crusher. Um, I always felt like she didn't get as as much as uh, some of the other characters, and a lot of her storylines were often tied to Wesley or Picard. Right. Um, so her standalone stuff just. There wasn't a whole lot of, which hopefully they um, they finally reconcile in the third season of Star Trek Picard, which airs uh, fe- in February <laughs> of this year. So um, we'll we'll get to see some more of her. we we'll get to see more of the entire original cast than that. But yeah. Right. But then here we come with uh, Deep Space Nine, another ensemble cast show. Here they are trying to tell the story about everybody and how they all kind of interweave together. And now it seems like in order to do that, we've departed entirely from giving our, our commanding officer the same kind of uh, presence that we had with Picard and his crew. So, and it, and it does, it is, I guess it would be jarring, especially when you come from the next generation and you have that kind of expectation to come to this show and you get, very little of that Mm um yeah that could definitely be jarring on this but again that's something that sets this show apart and i think that in the long run it does it does a better service on this show because by the time deep space nine is over i feel like you feel you know everybody very well Mm -hmm. not just one character here and there or anything like that, but you feel like you know everybody. You understand all of their motivations very well. Now, granted, we're just now in the third season, coming up on the end of the third season of our run through here, so we've got a lot to go, but um, I think that uh, when we do our recap at the very, very end, I think you'll agree with me that, um, yeah, we we know all the characters. We feel uh, very much um, in tune with all of them.
1: Right. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: So we will put some of this um, recapping of Deep Space Nine aside for now. And we will now turn to the episode, uh, Distant Voices. And uh, this was the 19th episode of season three? 18th? And this one featured another character that we've often felt um, we just didn't see a lot of, (laughs) at least in these first first seasons. And that would be Dr. Bashir. And... um, would you like to give the recap or do you want me to do it?
1: Oh, I guess I can do it this time. Uh, so, yeah, All this right. one, um, we start off with Dr. Bashir and Garrick eating, um, not in corks, um, but Dr. Bashir tells Garrick that he's about to turn 30 and how that in human cultures is kind of a, a, a milestone. You know, you're not a child anymore. You can't ignore aging anymore. You really have to start thinking about it more often. Uh, Garrick gives them a hard time you know it's like oh in my culture we think aging makes you mature and powerful and uh, it, just the two of them give me a hard time. uh Garrick gives dr dr Bashir a gift it's a I guess it's a murder mystery in the hollow suite but um, mm-hmm. dr Bashir uh, Bashir just complains that um you know in in mysteries from the Cardassians it's not who done it it's why is everyone guilty? <laughs> what are the what are the motivations behind everyone's guilt? Um, how do we prove their guilt? Um, which is you know there's not it's not like a list of people. We find one one person. It's everyone's guilty and why. <laughs> which I, I just love that it's a fun hilarious moment. Um, but anyway, Cork uh, comes up with a Lethian named Altovar, and he's very shy about coming up to Bashir very kind of hesitant he's like hey uh this guy here he wants to buy some biomimetic gel anything you know about that and Bashir's like that stuff is strictly restricted it's not something that's publicly available you have to get permission Mm -hmm. to get it why do you want it and Altavar huffs off basically he doesn't want to say he's just an ugly looking alien dude looks pretty pretty menacing
0: yeah, themes so, are not, not attractive at all.
1: Yeah, but later when Bashir goes to his infirmary, he finds Altavar has broken in is, and is stealing uh, the gel uh, from from his supplies. And when he finds Bashir coming in, he attacks him with some sort of hand field thing on his brain and knocks him unconscious. And when he wakes up, he finds things on the station are very strange. Uh, first off, he's starting to age. Uh, his first signs are he's getting gray hair. The station is completely abandoned uh, and dark. And there's a monster in Quark's. He goes to, Quark and Quark's, uh, goes to Quark's and Quark is hiding. He's afraid he won't say what's going on um, and runs away. Bashir starts hearing voices and he can't figure what's going on. He finally is able to find O'Brien, Dax, um, Odo, and Kira. And by this point, mm-hmm. he's really starting to noticeably age. No one else has aged, but they're all behaving strangely. And he starts to realize uh, that the voices he's hearing are actually of the the crew in the real world trying yeah. to figure out why uh, th- 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 he's unconscious. And they're trying to figure out a way to bring him back from being unconscious from when he was attacked by Altavar, the Lethian. Um he determines that all four of the main characters are actually representatives of his personality. Um, uh, like Odo is his fear and doubt. Kira is his aggressiveness. Uh, o- O'Brien is his um, his doubt. I think I might have mixed started that. Anyway, and then uh, Dax is his aggressiveness. Uh, or not aggressiveness, but like go get him attitude uh, That's not quite right, but you get the point. Um, yeah. He eventually finds Cisco, as we've mentioned. Cisco is uh, acting as like the perfect version of, of Bashir. He's helping people as a doctor. Uh, he's very on uh, in tune with his abilities. They uh, even, you know, Bashir and and uh, and Cisco give the same out loud uh, diagnosis and prescription for what to do at uh, the same moment. Um, however. At that very uh, right, uh, the reason Bashir is looking for Cisco is because he's trying to get to ops. He thinks that, well, if I'm unconscious, this whole area is just a dreamscape. This is me trying to make sense of my being unconscious. I need to go to ops and to fix the, if I fix the station from whatever is, you know, attacking it and damaging it, then that'll fix my real brain and I'll be able to wake back up. Um. And the reason he comes to that conclusion is because O'Brien was able to fix some of the stuff that was able to make him hear the voices from outside more clearly. There's a problem, though. It turns out the monster that's been on the station is a version of Altavar, I guess the the nightmare mm-hmm. version of him. And he's able to move through walls. Like, he captures Cisco and drags him behind a wall. He attacks and kills the other members. Um... And meanwhile, Garrick has been showing up. Uh, at one point, he's suddenly playing tennis with Garrick. Um, and so Garrick is the last one standing. And so he goes with Garrick. And then by this point, Bashir is an old man. He's completely unable to move himself. He's um, His hip is broken. And he has Garrick take him up to Ops. And up in Ops is a surprise birthday party for Bashir. And
0: and some um, random woman singing happy birthday. Yeah, a gorgeous
1: Dabo girl. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and when he tries to open up the panels, it's tennis balls, and he can't fix anything. And he realizes that um, all of the other characters were like a manifestation of some part of him, but Garrick doesn't seem to match that. So he challenges Garrick, and Garrick morphs into Altivar, and Altivar makes fun of him and says, "You're dying, and you're never going to recover." Bashir realizes that he actually needs to go back down to um to the medical bay, and it's in there where he is actually most powerful that he's able to defeat Altavar, which allows him to wake mm-hmm. back up and um Yeah, that's that's basically it. Well, that's essentially <laughs> it. That's
0: that's the episode. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. So
0: Yes, he goes instead of always fighting to go to ops. He has to go back to where he is in command, where he's right. in control, which is sick bay, right. and that's how he's able to gain the upper hand on the, um, on Garrick, who is actually the Leftian. Right. So, and again,
1: to be very clear, the the Leftian in his dreams is not the actual real Leftian. Everyone in his dreams are fake. It's not that the Leftian to trade his brain. It's just his you know, nightmare version of everyone, including the Lethian right. and Altavar. So, yeah.
0: So again, interesting episode, I would say, um, again, we get a bit more of the character development in regards to, uh, Bashir and mm-hmm. recognize that he is, um, a person who doesn't want to be reminded of his age yep. and growing old. Yeah. um, which he talks about again, he's, he's turning 30. Right. And how that marks kind of the, the downward decline into <laughs> decrepancy. Hey, you know. Shut
1: up, Bashir, for us who are already past that age. <laughs> right.
0: You know, um, right. It's just one of those things. Like, I remember watching it well before I was 30, then when I was 30, and now that I'm older than 30, yeah. and being like, um, and I, all three, you know, just the first one being like, ah no big deal, I'm not going to be 30, like, ever. And then finally hitting 30 and being like, oh, it's not that bad. And now here I am, you know, 36, soon to be 37. And I'm like, man, you know what? He was really right. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I don't doubt it. <laughs> um, but... So so I want to actually talk about that for a second. This whole um how we how we view aging, you know, which is something that Garrick and uh Bashir talk about when they're sitting there at the table, you know, in Cardassian in society, they, you know, view advanced age as a sign of respect and power, whereas contrasting how we view this in human society as you're it's a steady march to um decline. Right. And um not being able to do anything, and as we see that play out through the episode, Bashir is getting weaker and weaker, and despite his sharp mind, he is unable to do certain things because his the limitations of his body right. so um do you feel this was an accurate representation of how we as humans view age or or as a i guess as a society or even as your for yourself do you feel this way or was this kind of an over exaggeration?
1: Well, I would say that. Certainly, in modern American culture, there is definitely an emphasis placed on youth. I think an overemphasis on youth, the over, an overemphasis on the idea that youth is innocent and pure. Like you're kind of corrupted by society is our modern interpretation of of how things are. Like you, know, you come out of the womb and you know who you are, and and then society gets a hold of you and corrupts you into some, you know, backward version of who you should be, and then you have to like free yourself from society and free yourself from the shackles of your you know parents and and history and, and from everyone else telling you what to do with yourself I think that is certainly true today but throughout most of human history I would say that um, the idea that your elders you know some cultures they they worship their ancestors you know it's it's you know your el- the elders lead the lead lead the group you know it really is important uh, your age and your leadership position. But I certainly would say that modern American, uh, culture, um, has de-emphasized how important it is to be older per se and, and aged and learned and wisdom whiz- and have wisdom and is more emphasized, emphasizes more, um, you know, uh, aggressiveness is the youth, youthfulness, aggressiveness, ambition, um, and so when Bashir is Bashir fits that to a T. That's who he is. He is a guy who is ambitious, and a part of what the episode was kind of about. The whole reason the tennis balls were coming up is because um, the Lefty end was saying that you know Bashir originally was supposed to be some great tennis player, but he like intentionally failed in tennis, and he intentionally failed to become valedictorian as a doctor. Like he intentionally screwed up that one text question. Uh, about the post-ganglionic nerve and all that. Um, And so the question for Bashir is, like, has he felt that his ambition was something to be afraid of and therefore intentionally sabotaged himself? And Bashir ultimately says that, no, even if I had been, like, if I was a good tennis player, I'm a great doctor, and that's who I am. And if I was valedictorian, I would have still chosen this posting. Mm-hmm. I, I still am meeting all of the ambition and potential that I could have been as a person. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that the, the episode – I would say that you, you could find cultures that would emphasize the older – the importance of older people. But certainly modern American culture, even 30 years ago, was more interested in youthfulness. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, Bashir <laughs> fits that to a T. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I would agree. And even in the earlier scenes that we had seen uh, with uh, Bashir in earlier episodes, um, the focus on his youth was very apparent, mm. you know. When we first meet him, in fact, he's 27 years old. This is his first major assignment straight out of the academy. He's talking already about how eager he is because he wanted frontier medicine. He's yeah. very naive. Uh, they do paint him as very, very green, very inexperienced, right. you know. Offensive, and so. <laughs> then yes, yes. Um, multiple times he offends people by talking about how just how you know young and naive he is about certain things he's very arrogant that arrogance that only comes through youth and then we see you know there's a point where he's nominated for an award and he you know is trying to downplay that scenario because he didn't um, uh, think that he was old enough uh, for it you know even though he secretly wanted as we discovered the episode he even prepared an acceptance speech um, for it in case he won it um, and then this is not the first time that we had heard him talking about how close he had come to being valedictorian, um, how he had made a mistake. And then we find out through the Lethian here that the mistake he made was a very obvious blunder, that a first-year student would have picked up on this. And so is it was it truly a mistake, or was this um, Bashir sabotaging himself? Right. Um, and it makes you wonder about other decisions that he made. Like we hear how great he was as a tennis player, and yet he chose to move away from that. And he's become and he's this top-notch doctor, which he is. And I mean, he he backs himself up in saying how he's an even better doctor, and he loves medicine. And he still would have chose the assignment, but it does make you wonder about a man who would seem to have an endless supply of of skill right. and potential. To intentionally do things that seem to sabotage himself. Right. Um, so we do get that a bit. And, you know, we don't really – we don't necessarily get an answer here other than Bashir saying, hey, I'm fine with how my life is. This is what I wanted. Right. You know, so that, so I guess that is an answer in and of itself. Um, but, yeah, I think that we've also done a great job uh, – well, I see – We haven't done a great job, but I think society as a whole has changed a little bit in regards to how we view age and opportunity. Uh, We see more and more um, that people of older um, people who are older being able to do more with life and um, people are living longer longer than ever before Um, health has improved significantly in a lot of places you know so the ability to have a more fulfilling life and do more fulfilling things later on in life has certainly increased compared to what it used to be yeah even 30 years ago or even 100 especially 100 years ago you know so to see those kinds of changes i i like that and again as a person who is getting older and still feels like there is so much that i want to do it's um it definitely gladdens my heart to think that um even though I'm gonna be thirty-seven here in like a month that it's not all over. I didn't pass <laughs> my thirties. I didn't sail into my thirties and now this is it. This is all my life will ever be. This is all I can ever become. There's still an opportunity to do so much more. So um that's I think that's one of the things I appreciate the most about this episode is that it shows him you know he was kind of resigned to his fate of turning 30 and it kind of being all over to him discovering for himself that it's not. And that he was still more than willing to fight as he advanced in age right. in the episode. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about everybody else okay. and, how bes- and how strange they were acting. Right. And we, we see an overly aggressive Dax, an incredibly pessimistic Odo, Um, a kind of fearful, worry ward of of Bashir, and um, how would you? uh, Yeah, (laughs) O'Brien, and then um, and then Kira is just kind of confrontational, argumentative. Yeah. Um, and and O'Brien, not O'Brien, but um, Bashir notices right away um that something is not right Right. about anybody, Mm -hmm. um, and so he once they you know kind of established that they are acting out as elements of his psyche. Um, Do you agree with those elements that they showed of him?
1: That, well, how do you mean exactly? Because I mean, if if you're saying
0: like, like they were saying that like when they recognized that he was in a coma and they were all playing out aspects of his personality, do you agree that that was the the representations that we saw were accurate? Like, would you say that Bashir has a, has an aggressive side, has a pessimistic side or things like that have we seen enough of him to agree with that
1: i'm gonna say it now no and i think this episode is not that great (laughs) um not so let me back up a little bit and answer that question so do i feel like the characters are representing bashir well other than cisco like being the perfect doctor no because we've never So, okay, Dax, if Dax represents his impulsiveness, like, kind of jump in there and go do what needs to be done, that makes sense in the, I'm a doctor and I don't care about the danger. You know, I'm going to go help people regardless of danger. But he's not violent. And then Kira being the confrontational person, Bashir isn't confrontational like that. He, I mean, frankly, no, he just isn't. And O'Brien being Mr. Dowdy Pants, that's not right. You know, Odo being overly suspicious. I mean, it's more, a, it's like, it was more like the characters were exaggerated versions of themselves in some sense than the other ones. Thank
0: way you. That's what I thought. That's exactly what I thought, too. Because, I mean, when they started saying how these were the aspects of Bashir's character, I felt like that was wrong. Yeah. I would have much more appreciated if they had said that these were kind of like caricatures of themselves right yeah like because it kind of was yeah Odo
1: in his own mind can't quite bring out the full expression of people these are caricatures of them within his mind and then he consciously recognizes that right like for example they should have expressed they should the idea part of it was is that because they are him they don't have knowledge about things that he doesn't have knowledge about like that should have Mm -hmm. been more clear because, like, for example, O'Brien fixes something, but Bashir doesn't have the knowledge to fix things. So it's
0: like, ah, so Bashir actually does. Bashir has explained on oh, a couple right. of uh, you're right. a couple of times that he has taken engineering extension courses. Mention that in this, so, actually, yeah, yes, case. you're right. You're and right. so he does have some rudimentary knowledge, which explains why O'Brien was able to fix certain things, but not everything.
1: Right. Okay. So, right, right. Right. Yes. But yeah, I, I. I'm glad you asked that question because it, it gives me a chance to think about it. And yeah, like, of course it makes sense that Kira is the aggressive confrontational one. That's who she is in real life. She's just doing it more. And Odo, of course, is the suspicious one. That's who he is. And O'Brien, we've seen I – I, he's not Mr. Dowdy Pants, but I would certainly say that he is in a position where he has to ask questions to figure out what the solutions are and, therefore – you could just, you know, fall into a habit of just asking questions to the point of not getting anything done. You know, well, what about this? What about that? What about that? What about that? To, in, in ad infinitum. And then Dax. Uh, I mean, you can see that we've seen episodes where, like, where she worked with the, uh, the Klingons, and so she has the ability to be aggressive. Um, but like, for example, Quark didn't have necessarily anything to represent him. And then, like, even Garrick. Yeah. It would have made sense for Garrick to still have been some version of Bashir and then like it turns out that he's been hijacked or something. I don't know. I would just say Yeah, that- I think
0: this would have made for I think it would have made for a much better episode if Garrick had played more into the the confidant role that he was the one that out of everybody else that Bashir should have trusted and looked to for help that it was Garrick who continued to help him the most. Right. Garrick does the most here to distract him right. whereas and we we find out later on that's because he's the the leftian, right. you know, but but still I feel like it that would have made more sense considering their relationship and what we're seeing right. of them right. at this time, you know.
1: Yeah. And so so I don't like this episode. I feel I would I, I'm going to back up and say why this way. I have vivid dreams, nightmares in particular. And I it's always funny, I know why I have nightmares. If I'm ever cold, particularly my feet, if I'm ever cold, like my sheets are off of my body, I have nightmares. I always wake up from nightmares and I'm cold. Like it's just this weird thing about me. And so I I can remember not the dreams themselves because of course it's a it's kind of frustrating phenomenon where like the details of dreams or they recede and get lost. And I can't remember all the details, mm-hmm. but I know how vivid they feel in the moment and how they're, and they're always nonsense whenever, of course you think about them. So on one level, I want to give this episode the the doubt, like, okay, this is a dreamscape. Like, for example, my initial complaint was like, well, why would Bashir's brain be mapped out to the station? And then it's like, well, no, that's not it. It's you not know, the, the station. It's that he is thinking he's he's dreaming and therefore in the dream that's the logic the dream gives to the station in his brain it's not literal it's just his his storytelling inside the dream itself mm-hmm. and so if you give it that bit of the doubt then you just let it play out but i think that that emphasizes why i think the episode just kind of falls flat for me is like basically everything that happens in this episode is meaningless we've learned some things about that's this the other thing is- too it's
0: it's it's worse than a bottle episode. I mean, we do learn yeah. some things about Bashir, but it does absolutely nothing to advance That's the it. overall plot of our show. Yeah. yeah. Which, which right. is always going to be a problem with things like this yeah. because it's like there's absolutely no reason why we can't do both. Why can't you give me an episode that advances the plot right. and tells me more about the character that is the focal point here? And um, I will say they get better yeah. at this. And there are other episodes that feature other characters that also tie into the greater story arc. But beyond the the brief mention of the Dominion at the very beginning of the episode, at the, at uh-huh. the onset of the issue, we never hear anything else. And there is no consequence right. for anybody in this episode. Right. So it doesn't... Yeah,
1: but wakes up and it, he's fine, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, it's... Um, it does nothing for us here, so you're right.
1: Right, I would have like it would have been more interesting instead of him having all of the versions of people in his brain. Like just have him confront Garrick and Cork and the Lethian because those were the three characters that were uh, in the bar or in the when they were eating. I initially thought that was going to be the three characters because you meet those three first in the dreamscape. Uh, you you meet Cork and you meet Garrick, and then there's a monster. And if you're like, well, the Lethian, then of course Lethian. But anyway. Um, and then if the, the rest of the episode had been, let's say that they didn't have another doctor on hand, and so they're having to themselves figure out how to help Bashir without having his technical expertise, and that would give them a chance to, like, have to work through an issue that they don't have immediate help for. They could learn stuff about Bashir at the same time that he's thinking about those things himself. Like, he overhears them talking about his tennis career, and that gets him to thinking about why did he not go into tennis? You know, that kind of thing. But they they decided to emphasize the this is a nightmare dreamscape forced coma aspect and I feel like it it, it let it lends itself to being weird and it doesn't work. <laughs> and like if you're gonna commit to being weird, it's a nightmare. Like boom, let's go for it. Like when when he entered Quarks and there was all the crashing and banging and Man, I was like, man, whatever's in there is truly violent. Like, there was truly mm-hmm. something – like, they got some great crashing noises because I was listening, and I was like, whatever's in there, I'd be running hell hell away from it. I wouldn't be like Bashir, like all, hello, hello. I'd be like, whatever this is, I don't want to touch that. I'm out. <laughs> and Quark is all cowering, and Bashir's like – Anyway, my point is, is that they, if they had really – they didn't commit to the weird enough to make it like a full dreamscape. And when they did, they didn't do it quite right. As we've talked about. And um, yeah, you could skip this episode in the future and you wouldn't miss a thing as far as I'm (laughs) concerned.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, that scene where they're in the bar and things are being tossed and thrown at them and and everything else, it really helps that it's just so dark and you can't see anything. And that chair just comes flying out of that darkness, Mm -hmm. that nothingness, you know, Um, but yeah, they do a great job of kind of giving you this otherworldly big bad that's somewhere in the shadows and we're just not sure what's going on. Right. You know, um, I did, you know, we were, we did talk a little bit about like, you know, trying to figure out who represented what, you know, and we were talking about Quark, not really being sure what he, um, represented, but there was a brief discussion about that. And it's that Quark is basically like the, the, supposed to be the part of Bashir that is all knowing. And if you watch the episode and you think about where Quark is and, and the things that he says, you recognize that he was the one who had Bashir followed his um followed what he was saying, he would have been in the best position all along to defeat the Lethian. When we first encounter Quark, it's immediately after Bashir leaves the infirmary and, and Quark is hiding and he says to him, if you move, he'll find us. He'll hurt us. Right. So he's telling him basically to stay put, right. which we later find out through the roundabout of the episode he should have stayed in the infirmary all along. Right. Then later on, when they're when they meet for the second time, Quark is taking bets as to whether or not Bashir will die, and right. it's kind of. You know, then they start talking about which parts of him will go first, and as he's saying what parts will go first, these are also the people that disappeared and their representation of of Bashir and him dying, and him and his body shutting down. So he's kind of that all-knowing bit, which they they don't really lean too hard into it. You really have to kind of like pay attention to the episode and to and and honestly to read about it because I did not know that until later on when I was looking up. Aspects of this episode, right. and found out certain bits of that, and, it, and then going back and looking at it and realizing he does, he he absolutely does. He's kind of that all-knowing part. That had he been paid attention to in the first place, well, the episode would have been over because he never would have left the sick bang. Right, right. Um. But yeah, I think overall this episode, you're right. It doesn't it doesn't do enough for us here and um you're, yeah it's it's totally skippable yeah it could be a skippable episode yeah. i like i like bashir we've talked about his his valiant qualities how he how much he's down for his friends and supports them and helps them and things like that and i would like to see more episodes where he does that mm-hmm. but in this regard beyond learning a bit about the the man behind the doctor's uniform we it, it just doesn't do anything for us everything that we see or that we learn about bashir in this episode could have been served in other ways
1: right I do want to quickly mention though that I did think that Alexander Siddig as Bashir in this episode especially when he was playing the older version of himself I felt he actually did a good job like he committed like he was fully committed to the shaking I'm having a hard time talking kind of I mean he was acting you could tell he was acting but like I was like I was really giving the guy credit I was like he's really leaned over he he looks thinner. Like, just the way – something about the way he's acting. He looks thinner. He looks aged. They did a great job with the makeup. Um, nothing about his performance in this episode was wrong. He played it to the to the nines. Um, and uh, I think he did a great job. I just don't think that – I mean, we've seen Bashir, the character, you know, risk his – you know, like the episode with Garrick, where Garrick had the that mind – pain receiver blockage thing go bad and he had to help garrett get through it like that was an episode where bashir the doctor really shone through this one was more about bashir the man but this episode about bashir the doctor didn't deny the man um it it was it gave other characters a chance to shine like garrett in that episode and um so yeah sidix sidix performance was great but I feel like this episode was kind of a a miss overall.
0: Well, that's fine. I'm I'm gonna give it to you. I I, I agree. I think that it has its entertaining moments, but overall, since it doesn't really do anything for us, um, plot wise, for the overall Deep Space Nine plot, that you know, um, it it could it could be missed. Right. Um, We did talk about how even the the one minute, the almost precisely one minute scene with Cisco was the more entertaining and engaging scene that we got out of all of this. And again, it was it was over before it could ever really begin. So uh, we get nothing here for anybody. Um, And I mean, that happens sometimes, I guess, you know, Um, back when they were doing 26, 24 episode seasons, uh, that happened. Doesn't happen, um, I guess. Now, now, every all the shows with their ten to twelve uh, episode seasons, everything has to be impactful. Everything has to be meaningful. So we don't have yeah. to worry about that, no, I guess. in some of the to other cut stuff. Out. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna miss the filler episode. Yeah, I will say, to... I'm gonna miss those. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. I feel like there is something kind of lost. Like, I well, on some level, I like the streamlined aspect of storytelling the just gregarious nature of 26 episodes a season that's lost in our modern culture (laughs) modern story modern tv shows
0: (laughs) i mean i i miss it like i said i'm gonna miss it i would like it if we could um go back to that because you find cuz there for every crappy one there are some rare gems in there yeah. and we we'll, we won't have those you know and and um also the shows runs won't seem really as impactful like you know discovery is coming up on its um fifth season I believe but again each season has only been you know 10 to 12 episodes right. so in order for it to have the same number of episodes as a show like Next Generation or Deep Space Nine or like that it's going to have to run for 10 to 12 years Yeah, if, if, to get the same yeah this
1: season has 26 episodes but most shows have 10 that means you'd have to run two and a half seasons worth of episodes of the current show to get anywhere like the content And I I think the reason that that reason we're we're nostalgic about that is because even though this episode, for example, wasn't the greatest, it still gave us a chance to really get to know Bashir. And if we didn't have this episode, while on some levels we can skip it, we would still miss out on getting to know Bashir. On other shows, you just get the characters when they're amongst all the other characters and they're working as a team and there's not the moments to kind of relax with one character and learn about them. Um, so there's, there's a trade off you know- there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you definitely just hit on the head like one of the main complaints about Discovery and the fact that like we um, in, in the, the complaint has been that when they finally give us a compelling character to know and understand that the character typically is written off the show. Either they die or they go and do something else. Their their career path takes them elsewhere or whatever. And so people are always complaining about it. And I'm like, but you're the reason that we don't have that knowledge and more time with the character is because you often complained about filler episodes. You complained that these episodes do nothing. They go nowhere. And you didn't want to see any of those. Now you realize just how important they are because that character that you fell in love with so much, you could have done that through a series of those kind of, Bottle episodes that we don't have anymore. Right. And so, um, that is definitely the trade off, and it sucks. <laughs> and, um, and Discovery has been really, really hard with it because they've come up with some really compelling characters. And just when you're like, man, that character is so great, they're gone. You know, it's like, it's just, yeah, Q might as well have just stepped in just like I did and snapped his fingers and like, oh, you like that one? Mine. <laughs> um, and, and that's it, right. you know, so, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, I I will, I miss that format, the 24, 26 episode uh, format. I don't think that it will ever come back because, you know, uh, they're filming, you know, 17, 18 hours a day to do these episodes and stuff. And I'm sure that's very hard on them. And, um, uh, I mean... We want to say what you want. I mean, they're actors, and they're—I'm sure—they're paid extremely well for what they do. But could anybody imagine doing the same thing over and over again, eighteen hours a day? You're in—you're in tight, form-fitting clothes, or you're in tight, form-fitting clothes. Plus, you've got the various prosthetics you've got to wear, and all the rest of it. It's—it's it's probably very uncomfortable for a long period of time. So, yeah, and then you got to do it every day. So it's not like a one-off, oh, that was just one 18-hour day. Nope. Seven. You got seven of those. (laughs) So, yeah.
1: Yep, I I can definitely agree that the change makes sense for the industry, but it sometimes trades off with all that wonderful content, even if it is sometimes sippable filler content at times. (laughs) So...
0: Well, as we wrap things up here uh, for this episode, I did want to touch back again on just commemorating Deep Space Nine and uh, the 30-year anniversary. Um, there has been a lot of things online about the 30-year anniversary. You can go to Star Trek.com and you can review a lot of this stuff. I know that Sirach Lofton, who played Jake, of course, he has posted a couple of different things, both through com and through his uh, podcast, which is called The Seventh Rule, which you can watch on YouTube about the legacy of the show. A lot of the other actors have also sat down and given their own talks. We can You can watch Nana Visitor, who played Karen Arise, Terry Farrell, who was Jadzia Dax, and Armin Shimerman, who played um, Quark all talk about their experience on the show and how the show has kind of taken on a second life here in these last few years and um, being hailed basically as very much ahead of its time from the 90s uh, to now. So if you're interested in any of those things, I would highly recommend you go to either Star Trek.com or to YouTube and watch them. Um, Some of the videos can be kind of long, especially when they do like their panel discussions, but they're worth it. The ones with the, those three in particular, Kira, um, Jadzia, and Quark, and they talk about the show and its impact and what they're seeing now. And some of them even coming back to do some some Trek stuff, like um, Kira and Quark were both on the animated show, uh, Lower Decks, and they voiced their characters again for the show. Um, they talk about that, and it's a lot of fun. And it's very interesting to see how they, too, are experiencing kind of a resurgence in their Trek careers through through this stuff so very much worth it go watch it enjoy it um the one thing i will i will say and i I hope that they rectify soon is we get something with avery brooks the man has been incredibly elusive um no new interviews no nothing not even when they did the documentary what we left behind um several years ago uh nothing and I, I know that he's alive. I know that he's well. I know he's doing things. I know also that he has stated over and over again, he's a very private man. Um, but at some point, I mean, we, we need him. He was the, he was the captain. <laughs> we need to have him come back, you know? So um, I would really love it if somebody could figure out what it would take to get him back. And I believe that Sirach Lofton is probably our... our um, only real angle there i know that they stay in in contact and um sirak has talked a lot about avery brooks and his desire to kind of come back and do other projects and stuff like that but nothing is really solidified on those grounds yet so guys i don't know what you're waiting for you you greater star trek people who are in control of things but make it happen we need captain cisco back so um Give us something. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Man,
0: It's it's been 30 years. I need the man to come back. Okay? <laughs> so. Yeah. But any other final thoughts that you have, David, for this show that we are continuing to watch and that you have never seen before and you're only in the third season of?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it crazy to think <laughs> that we're almost done with season three. Uh, We're not quite at the halfway point, but it's coming up soon, and that'll be a milestone in and of itself. Um, So, yeah.
0: right, guys I think that's going to do it for us here on this very special episode of The Fire Caves remember you can catch us anywhere you listen to podcasts Um, I happen to do it on Spotify and again that's The Fire Caves a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by the same name and on our YouTube channel where you can watch us um, actually, do these do these podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can feel free to leave them for us. Just remember, be polite, or else we won't answer. And we'll just we'll just find you instead. Um, <laughs> other than that, guys. Until we see you next time, take care of yourselves.
1: Thanks, guys.